0: Thank you so much for joining us for our In Case You Missed It series of our Revise and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, just one of the two hosts of our now year-long podcast designed to introduce you to research and researchers in the communications field, but it's not nearly as boring as that may sound. In our In Case You Missed It series, we're going to return to conversations we recorded almost a year ago because during that time, our podcast had a different name. And you may have missed it. This week, we're going to be revisiting our conversation with Dr. Kristen Warner, who's an associate professor in journalism and creative media. I'm not going to lie; Kristen has been my colleague, and we've worked about a hundred feet away from each other for years. But I didn't truly understand all that she did with her research and creative work until we had this conversation, and that's one of the main reasons we're doing these podcasts. So we and you can learn more about the fascinating research going on by communication scholars. Not only does Kristen investigate really important topics like the way race is represented or not in television and film, uh, she discusses how crucial it is to have representation behind the camera. Kristen also is an incredibly funny human being and this conversation stands out as one of my favorites even though I'm not supposed to have favorites. This is a super fun conversation. So please tune in as we revisit this great conversation with Dr. Kristen Warner. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kristen.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So before we get started, um, talking about your research and a little bit more about who you are and what you do, I remember seeing a mention about you a few years ago um, in a story about the representation of Black women in the media. And you were on this panel um, titled The Not-So-Silver Screen, Black Women in the Media, and that Um, panel examined the invisibility and devaluing of black women in the media and the wage gap for black women in the entertainment industry and one of the things I remembered about that panel was that you were on that with some pretty big names in the entertainment industry not that you're not a big name Um, but can you tell (laughs) us a little bit about that that seemed like a really cool thing to do
1: yeah so it was um one of the events that was produced at the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles and was um, sort of the, the brain child of the hammer and Kimberly Crenshaw, um, who is a, you know, famous critical race theorist and who um, came up with the idea of intersectionality and, you know, like a huge, um, just a, a huge uh, person in the field. And so I was invited. Um, to 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 offer my uh, insights into it. So um, it was me and Kimberly and Diane Carroll, which was wow. which is huge. <laughs> it, was, it was insane. It was like, oh my god! I look over there and there's there's, <laughs> there's Diane Carroll. <laughs> And she's just so gorgeous she was so gorgeous and she was just so you know charitable and kind and you know wow. and even though you know like she's passed now but one of my favorite moments was her dozing off in the middle of the panel and I was like <laughs> you know what like I don't blame you Diane Carroll I would too like you deserve a
2: nap take take your rest uh, okay so Kristen I have a follow-up for you sure when um did, when you got the invitation um, to to be on that panel, was it a phone call? Was it an email? And what was your first reaction?
1: So it was a, a friend of mine um, who was a colleague uh, was sort of part of the, the team assembling folks. And so she sent me a Facebook message actually <laughs> and was like, hey do you want to be on this little panel and I was like I said yeah I mean sure I'm I'm available and then as the name started to come and she was like and Diane Carroll will be here I was like stop (laughs) stop (laughs) Stop. like it was just very like this is real like this is oh y'all for real like I need to bring my my a-game and and like between Diane Carroll and like Kimberly Crenshaw like who again is this huge name Kimberly Crenshaw was like yeah I read your book and I was like oh my god oh, wow just knock me down I'm ready to go like I was it was it was very it was one of those that was very affirming and terrifying in equal parts <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that. that's, awesome.
0: that's cool yeah
2: um tell our um listeners a little bit about where you're from and who you are.
1: So I am originally from South Louisiana. um my family still is there. I went to lSU for undergrad uh, and I was a journalism major with a film minor, and the film minor I was much more interested in than the ah <laughs> oh. major. Um, interestingly, I learned a lot, like there were a lot of tools that I still take with me. Like I learned how to research and dig and interview and all those things, but I was much more of the filming. And so I went to grad school, my master's uh, at the university of Arizona in film, and then did my PhD at the university of Texas and Austin and radio TV film. So I just sort of made my way through the Southwest. Yeah. Nice.
0: So can you give us an elevator pitch of your research and scholarship?
1: Sure. Uh, So I am interested in race and representation, but more specifically, I'm interested in the ways that representation occurs. So it's not just to me interesting to look at the final results like what airs and the and to be able to study the 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 characteristics of characters but more I'm interested in how those characters come to be I'm interested in the writing process I'm interested in in more specifically in the casting process Mm -hmm. Um, how do what decisions are made at all levels to determine you know what you end up seeing as final product and so that takes me in a variety of different ways, a variety of different avenues. Um, I'm I, on one hand, I'm interested in sort of like watching and observing casting processes and taking into account the the the, the sort of histories of of of, of uh, innovations like colorblind casting mm-hmm. as um as methods of trying to increase um, diversity on screen and in theaters and and in those kinds of avenues but on the other hand i'm also interested in the labor i'm actually interested in the the means of employment wow. and how employment at the levels of at, at each level of industry from the casting directors to the producers and writers rooms and showrunners and executive c-suites how all at every level those the, the, the inclusion or lack of, lack thereof ends up shaping the representations that you see for years to come. So it's a mixture of those things.
2: I, I think that's real. I mean, that's really cool because I think that there's so many, so many of us who we watch films and we watch TV and we think, well, that's on the screen and that's who we get. Yep. And I guess that, I guess that that was how it was supposed to be without even, even thinking about or having any inkling of of understanding of all of the decisions Mm -hmm. that, that come before that
1: yeah yeah and I think in 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 film and media studies but I think also across you know the spectrum of of folks who study representation and communications and in other areas I think we largely you know have have focused on Positive and negative representation. We focus large, largely on what's good and what's mm-hmm. bad, and we have very poor evaluative tools ah. to measure that. You know, like we just we just can't. It's it's either it's so reductive in terms of how we and how we uh, analyze or evaluate or assess what's positive or what's negative. Mm-hmm. We don't really even um, we don't really even understand or are able to really define what positive yeah. means mm-hmm. really um, or, or negative in that same way. So it felt like to keep banging that drum to keep hitting hitting your head against that wall felt it it just it felt pointless and so I wanted to see what's in between that like is there a spectrum of so-called positive and so-called negative and is there something in between that you can analyze and understand how all these things work and so thinking through the Thinking through the actual process of production, thinking through the actual process of casting, thinking through the decision-making tree, decision trees that are made in terms of who gets to be where and be placed in what, and what is it that you expect from these, you know, bodies of color or these different looking Mm -hmm, bodies. mm -hmm. Um, All of that seemed to be much more substantive there seemed to be much more I could do with that you know Mm
0: -hmm. so I mean all of this is just so fascinating so I cannot wait to hear your answer for this if you had to come up with a headline for one of your more interesting findings what would it be
1: (laughs) you know I mean it, it would be um let's see well let 's see the one that usually sort of stuns this my students is um, money isn't going to determine diversity money isn't going to change diversity hmm. um, it, it doesn't matter how much you how much you try to argue that diversity in terms of like multicultural you know like you know multicultural casting and all those things it doesn 't like you can make the point to executives all day about how 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 successful these things are, like fast and furious movies make billions of dollars and you know movies that have you know you know predominantly black casts do do significantly well. You can make that argument or in the same way that you can make the argument about movies that are about women mm-hmm. and made and targeted to women um, are super successful you can't. You won't ever change the needle because at the end of the day, it's not money that moves the needle. It's personal taste, ironically. Mm. It is personal values and attitudes. And so if you have a business that is largely run by white men um, and who like their tastes to be validated, then any number of dollars that you can throw in their faces and say, this will change, doesn't move them Mm -hmm. what they are moved by are the things that they enjoy Mm -hmm. um and that is a hard thing to sort of get your arms around because we we have been taught that that you know that it's business right and business is the motivator but that's not Mm -hmm. exactly true when you have a a working system in your mind that, you know, it may take me longer to make money the way that I want to make money, but I can do it the way I'm accustomed to. I can do it the way that it's been done. Mm -hmm. And you can say that this way is shorter and there's a shortcut to, to, to wealth untold, but I just as easy stick to my guns and do it the way that I want to do it. Uh, And, and that is, that is, I think sort of one of the most, um, the, the thing that actually, you know, is, is, is most sort of daunting to, to, to sort of process is that as much as we want to believe that, you know, you can put numbers and put data in the faces of some of these folks and say, this is what you can do. They don't take the bait. Wow.
2: So um, wh- one thing that you mentioned um, several minutes ago um, but I'm I'm hearing some of that in, in your last answer is um the, the the framework of being a critical scholar. And and yeah. you know, so I think when I first heard that I was like, Well, aren't we all critical <laughs> scholars? I mean, we all critically think, right? But yeah. um, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what it means to be a critical scholar?
1: Sure. So in my mind the critical part is the is the 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 thing that my mind first always goes to are questions of power. Mm -hmm. um and questions of where where is power located and so power can be located in a variety of different places power isn't just top down but it can be up it can be you know come up from the ground it can be across groups it can operate in a variety of different ways and so i'm interested in where and how power how power emerges um and that is usually sort of the starting point so if and, and, and how power sort of obscures itself because you know like power doesn't want to be lost mm-hmm. you know like people who wield power don't want to lose right. it so it seems always most interesting to sort of figure out how it how it disguises itself or how it is obscured and so that so for me critical is is sort of thinking about those kinds of inequalities thinking about those the systems and structures that hold power and then withhold it from others, mm. um, that, that is usually my defining position, yeah.
2: And, and as you mentioned, I mean, so, so power can look like values, yes, um, not just money. money. Um, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, Kristen, you had I mean, mentioned earlier, um, you had referenced a book. And so what I'm wondering is, as you were working on that, I mean, it obviously had to be a fairly involved project how did you manage the project over time? How did you stay positive? And certainly dealing with the topic that you're dealing with, I would imagine it might even get depressing is probably the wrong word, but just like, you know, bumping up against what, everything that you've found in your previous research about you know if you've got white men that are in control, their values and what they want to see is what they're going to produce, and money doesn't matter. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the book project and how you manage that? Sure,
1: sure. So some of the work in the book project um stemmed from my dissertation research, and I was fortunate, you know, one of the things about doing ethnographic research um, as a graduate student is that, you know, people take, you know, uh, people take pity on you um, and they'll, they'll, they're much more inclined to see you if they just, like, I'm just a lowly graduate student and I, I just need this because you have to understand I need to graduate. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I was able to, you know, this is, these, this is in the days before LinkedIn and, you know, mm-hmm. this is when, You had to cold call so many people to try and find one person. Um, to, to to sort of help you navigate this. And so I, I somehow lucked into one person who snowballed me into like five or six meetings. And mm-hmm. so I went to LA one summer and spent a week or two um, talking and interviewing these people and watching them do their jobs and, and really trying to take in the space and take in how all these things work. And my project before that was like, you know, colorblind casting is is treacherous it's this seemingly you know positive thing but it actually has all these pitfalls attached to it and that in the end but by the time i finished with that project by the time i finished with my field research i came out with like this this whole other area that i didn't plan for which was yeah all that is true and employment is equally important to these people so it's less so they are less interested in are you playing a substantial dimensional you know you know character and versus are you are you playing something that you can feel you can take some pride in because you're not playing in your mind something negative like a drug dealer or a slave Mm -hmm. or a butler or a maid Mm -hmm. are you you get to play a judge with no background or anything but you get paid to do something good you get to pay Mm -hmm. your bills and i got to talk to all these people who were like we are interested in numbers we want our member we want our if we're a union, we want our membership body to be working. we don't care what they do, and we can't judge nor do we control content so it turned a lot of what I was thinking it made it made it much more complicated uh and made me have to sort of grapple with a lot more about you know what all this means, and so that can take you down some some dark roads of sort of nihilism mm-hmm. for sure. Um, because the more that you dig through, and and I am a I I do a lot of discourse discursive work, and so I read re- I'm reading all of these interviews transcripts, and I'm reading all these news stories, and I'm looking at all these trade articles, and as I sort of like pull and sift through to sort of see what the things that they all have in common, it's 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 a lot of spin. It's a lot of we want bodies, but we don't necessarily we're not but we're not asking for a difference. And then I look at you know what audiences want and audiences have certainly been um socialized into looking for bodies and not asking for more and so it became this whole sort of this 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 tornado of like how how do you make something that is you know di- that, that is diagnosing this phenomenon that is su- that is that is uh, that has all these moving parts to it and still at the same time maybe offer a glimmer of hope and i, I honestly you know, to this day don't know if I accomplished the hope because I don't necessarily know if I have it. Um, but I think, you know, but I, but I, I see, you know, uh, and, and so when I, I wrote the book, I think it was much more um, about trying to just get it, t- trying to get this process understood, trying to sort of explain the complexities. And I will say it took, Five. the book came out in 2015 it took five years but I have been of late uh, uh, evidently the casting society of America picked this book as their book club book wow Whoa. Oh, goodness. Oh. so I got this, e- this this, sort of random set of emails from casting directors who were like, we read your book. We wow. have all these questions.
0: Wow, You understand
1: kind of what it is that we're doing and you make, make it make sense. So if for no other reason than that, like my struggle seems to be worth it. <laughs> like, yes. you know, it's like, okay, there I'm pointing out this thing from five years ago, the work that I've been doing since 2009 and it still seems relevant and they still, and they see, sort of the processes at hand and recognize that you know they are but one part of this why this is so difficult to do right and it was good like that felt that was like a good sort of like well I might not have I might not have like a whole lot of hope but that's that's a good start you know <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure that's Well, for all of our listeners, we will definitely include information about Kristen's book and where you can find it in the description for this episode. So don't worry. We will uh, let you know how you can buy it and read it. (laughs) And then you can have your own book club (laughs) about it. Yes. So uh, So you've talked a little bit about
2: just kind of the complexities of um, decisions and processes and... That are, are you an expert in every single one of them? Who do you lean on um, to provide insight in, in some of the places where you are maybe not the, the, the quote-unquote expert um, as far as your training and research goes? So I think... You know
1: my little field uh that that is mostly about that mostly is sort of grappling with media industries and race representation critical race theory um and in, in media studies like we're a small like that like the the overlapping circles on that are are produce a very small pool of scholars, and so we all mm-hmm. know each other. And so if there are areas, you know, for example, I'm not um, my specialization is not history. Um, I am a very much a contemporary scholar. Like, you know, I I can dig if I need to, but I'm not an archival. I'm not an archivist. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't do a lot of archival research. And so Mm -hmm. when I have questions or if if, or when the research needs to tend to trend to to towards something historically like I will dig into I will ask you know my my friends my colleagues who are who do that work like help me show me where to start um Mm -hmm. I have one of the things that I didn't know when I first started all this was you know like there's not a whole lot of work in colorblind casting as it relates to film and television. Um, there's mm-hmm. lots of work on acting. There's lots of work on, you know, method and all of that stuff But they're in, in typing, but there's not a whole lot of work on colorblind casting. I, one of my uh, dear colleagues, dear friends and colleagues uh, in performance studies um, was like, you should look in performance like this in theater mm-hmm. and find it. And so it just opened up a whole world of scholarship that I had no idea about. Huh. Um, around it. So you know, you find you 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 know you you talk to people long enough, and they'll start to give you little ideas and things things that help you think about it. I most re- I recently I wrote um an article that I am most proud about about Magic Mike XXL um, <laughs> and <laughs> affect and I hadn't. I, I one of the things I was trying to sort of argue was that it, the movie is about the movie and the way the movie works is. Um, that the re- that representation is most in its most meaningful form is both auditory and visual. So it's not just about you seeing yourself, but it's about you hearing some hearing 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 something in the text that makes you feel called. And so it's this audio visual, true audio visual um, hailing. And so I needed to sort of dig into sound studies because that's wow. you know part of how it works. And I. Lord, I had no idea about sound studies. I, I, I it, it it's a, it's it's a it was a world unknown to me. And so I, you know, I talked to, you know, um a lot of sound studies people and including one of our uh colleagues, Alex Vizi, uh, mm-hmm. to help me like point me into the directions where I the things I need to read to understand vibration and understand all these things. So it, you know, it it everything wow.
0: requires helping hands yeah Yeah. so Kristen as you um were working on the book and you had mentioned that it was a you know several years in the making sort of process can you explain to our listeners just a little bit about the review process I mean do you do the whole thing and then submit it out for feedback are you getting feedback through you know chunks of it can you kind of shed some light on that for our listeners
1: Sure. So with the book, with the first book, um, it was a um, I I sent out an article that I was that I kind of cut from the dissertation and sent it to a journal and and it got accepted. So I had a feeling I had a, a good sense. Um, that if I were to sort of trans like to expand on that revise it and 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 that there was something to it that I could like I could actually make the disc a book um and and trans you know take out all the excess and re-add things and and innovate it in a in a different way and so I submitted it to press um with a book chat I had um the my proposal consisted of the actual proposal itself and then two chapters um one you know and um that was the initial review process. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. And how do you, I mean, how do you, what Is the resilience or the persisting you, mm. you dig into and, and find um, as you're doing those long projects?
1: Oh, good God. Yeah. It's <laughs> a
2: lot. I mean, I remember,
1: um, I remember I was in Louisiana for the summer and it was 2014 and I was in this I was at home spending the summer writing and I was just you know I, it was it was just this every day I went to this coffee shop in my hometown it's this very I live in a very from a very small town and they had this coffee shop that had two people in it and I would sit there every day from like 8 to 6 you know churning out pages and you know, drinking not great coffee <laughs> and churning out just pages pages and revising and, and having to um uh re- having to sort of be do research like find out new things as you go. So having sort of like what is okay, this chapter needs to look like this. I let me sketch out kind of roughly what I want it to be now I need to read about this I don't know anything about this you know this network that I need to sort of understand in order to make sense of make this chapter work and you know you know I need to sort of explain this area and so it would just be this brutal thing so essentially I wrote the book the revisions, new chap, new ad- added chapters, all of that. I wrote it in a- essentially
0: four wow. months.
1: Um, so I do <laughs> not recommend that as a life choice um (laughs) i don't i don't recommend it um do do it over time process it you know do a little a day don't write it all in once because you you don't sleep um but but i think you know it was it was one of those where it was like you it, it, it it was it was an experience of really just sort of pushing through and giving yourself, you know, like there were days when I didn't write anything and there were like, there are days where I just was like, I can revise today. Like this is all I have the energy <laughs> for is to just let me look back through what I wrote and let me make sure that it makes sense. Cause I could have been, you know, daydreaming and wrote some nonsense. So like, let me <laughs> figure that out. And then there are days when you just have like the, like the muse is on your shoulder and she's just like, let's go. And you can write you know, you're you can finish half a chapter, so it really was just a a, a pace, and then an ability to when you're done, you ha- like you must let go, like you must let mm-hmm. go, like do not sit there and sit there and well, maybe something will come. No, you're done. <laughs> Like if you, you you really are done. Turn and turn in the chapter. You know, like go ahead, you're finished. Like it'll it'll be what it'll be, and trust that it and trust that the process will do what it needs to do.
0: Hmm. Wow. So shifting gears just a little bit, we always like to end on kind of a fun question. As academics, we do have the good fortune of being able to travel to different countries or different cities around the U.S. to present our research at conferences. Do you have a favorite place that you've um, visited when you've traveled to present research or a place that you're looking forward to visiting? Uh, so...
1: Two places. I went to. Um, it seems. It seems like it was. It was like our like a like a, a, a divine treat. Last did November, um, <laughs> I went to. I went to Hawaii for American <laughs> studies, oh, cool. and it was. It was such a nice time. Yes. <laughs> it was. It was so wonderful. And had I known it would be the last time I would travel really anywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would have spent more time at the beach. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought, I thought, I thought, well, you know, we'll get this time again. Um, So that one and, um, also for American Studies. American Studies likes to take us to a lot of fun places. Um, I went to um, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Mm, Wow. Um, That was also fun. Um, Looking forward to, at some point, um, there was a media industries conference in London that I was really looking forward to attending. And maybe, you know, at some point in the future, we can go
0: Mm. back. For sure. Well, Kristen, it's been so fun talking with you today and getting this chance to learn more about you and the research that you do. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is this has been really fun.
1: I'm so glad y'all invited me. Thank you. Thanks,
0: of
2: course. course.